Grace and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Two years ago I got sick of trying to deal with a vegetable garden in the backyard and decided to switch to a flower bed. I just wasn't getting any veggies. The first few years we planted them, we enjoyed the cucumbers and the tomatoes and the green beans and the strawberries. And I know strawberries aren't a vegetable, but the point is that animals and insects and soil fungus discovered them and quickly it became a fruitless task and a vegetable-less task. So we switched to flowers and we've really grown to enjoy them. But every year, right at the height of the summer, right when things are really starting to bloom, we tend to go away for a few weeks. And when I come back, there are weeds everywhere. It's amazing how fast weeds can grow. And it's disheartening how quickly they ruin the look of a flower bed. I don't know if Jesus ever had a flower bed or a vegetable garden, but he sure knew how to talk about them. He sure knew how frustrating it was to find weeds in them. In explaining what the kingdom of God is like, he uses the story one time of a field and a farmer where the weeds go wild right at the time when the wheat is heading out. The farmer in the parable, interestingly enough, doesn't seem all that concerned about them, but his slaves are really confused by it. At first they wonder if he, the master, might have accidentally or purposefully planted the weeds. When he points out they come from an enemy, they want to know how they should handle them. Pull them up? Get out the roundup? Nope, says the farmer, just let things grow together for a while. At the right time I will tell the harvesters to pick them separately. I don't know if this is actually how you run a real garden or a farm. I know that when I come home to a weedy flower bed, I immediately get down and start pulling up the weeds, carefully of course, one at a time. There is some satisfaction in pulling a weed out and getting all of the roots with it. Maybe the master's slaves knew about that. Maybe they knew it looked good to have a field of only wheat grains blowing in the wind and that it felt good to rip out what didn't belong. This is one of the few parables we have that also includes Jesus' explanation for it. On one level, that makes it a bit easier for us to understand what Jesus was trying to teach with it. This parable, like the one that comes right before it, about the sower who flagrantly spreads seeds on different types of ground, is an allegory. That is, all of the characters and objects in the parable stand for something. Overall, the parable illustrates something, though, we probably don't need to have illustrated or explained for us. The world is a field where good and evil are mixed in together. In fact, they are so mixed together that it's actually very difficult to uproot one without harming or uprooting the other. It's almost impossible to separate the complicated mixture of how human lives and decisions, good and bad, have risen and grown together. We don't necessarily need a parable to illustrate this because we have Monument Avenue. Look at the debates and arguments that arise around the removal of Confederate statues. Some people claim that by doing so we're erasing history. Look at the protests and movements advocating for justice for people of color. 
Some only see riots and destruction, just weeds. Others see only positive change. Look at the complicated and thorny path forward regarding plans for school this fall. We cast opponents' plans in terms of hatred. It's got to be either all or nothing. On a more directly church-related level, news broke a few weeks ago that the writer and musician who composed some of our most beloved contemporary hymns has been accused of sexual assault by several women. Immediately, there have been calls for justice, and rightly so, but some are going so far as to say we remove that composer's hymns from our publications and worship repertoire. Should we do that then for Martin Luther? who is on record of making horrible, violent comments about Jews and other religious groups? Do we need to rename our whole denomination? Yes, the master in the parable knows more than his workers. Each of these situations that are ever before us involve aspects of humanity and culture that are clearly evil and in opposition to God, and we know that. But they're also mixed together with the fruits of good and righteousness. And they're mixed with potential for good that we haven't even seen grow yet. Potential for people even to change and be reborn. And these situations are all mixed on levels below the surface we aren't able to comprehend, especially in the heat of the moment. It doesn't mean we just don't do anything, for our baptismal vows do call us to strive for justice and peace. But it does suggest we need to be careful and nuanced in our quests for justice, and more than a little bit humble as we go about it. Perhaps this parable, among other things, serves as a cautionary tale about cancel culture or call-out culture. Cancel culture, which is very prominent these days, involves the outright boycotting of a person or a company that has acted or spoken in questionable ways. I don't believe removing Confederate memorials qualifies as cancel culture, but there are ways we've run into the world today ready to rip up and burn whatever we think is wrong. It is satisfying to do that, right? To rip that weed out by the root and toss it away. The issue is that if we're so driven to cancel others for things they've done or said, if we are so eager to point out where others are on the side of the enemy and how they need to be silenced or omitted from the garden of life, then we also need to be aware of what needs to be canceled within us. None of us is a pure garden. The writer of this morning's psalm makes that clear. Words that we prayed together just a few minutes ago. He says, Give me an undivided heart to revere your name. Yes, our own hearts are divided between good and evil, and the cries for a field clean of weeds is actually a cry for our own hearts to be cleansed. And that, as it turns out, is what Jesus the Master is here to do. He comes not just to sow seeds of good in a world of bad, a daisy here, a lily there. He comes not just to remind us of how to live with such a mixture of scenarios, like a self-help coach might do. He comes to offer his own life up for the hope of all on the cross. He comes to be God's harvest, to lay his perfect goodness down before the enemy and let the enemy do his worst. Let the enemy try to eradicate him. He becomes a weed for us. 
And then God the Father will raise him up to say, enough of that. Evil will not conquer. Evil always heads towards a dead end. It will not shine in any way in the vision God has for the world. Even the evil within ourselves will be purged away. What's most interesting to me about this parable is that the nature or the origin of the weeds is not really dealt with. There's no big discussion about who this enemy is, what the enemy is like, or even why the enemy exists and plants weeds. The Master and Jesus both are more focused on what we do now that we've acknowledged the presence of the weeds. I typically have the confirmation students take a test at the end of each semester to review what we've learned about basics of the Lutheran faith. In reality, the test is more a chance to let them share their thoughts with me to see how they process matters of faith and belief in a complicated world. Unfortunately, because we could not meet in person at the end of this spring, I had to administer the test through email and they had to mail it back. One of the questions I asked them this year was, has the coronavirus pandemic impacted your faith in any way? Has your faith in God influenced your understanding of the pandemic? I wasn't sure what kinds of responses I'd get, but I do know that for many centuries, Christians interpreted events like pandemics to mean that God was bringing judgment on the world, or that there was no God at all, because this kind of suffering can't be matched up with the existence of a loving God. But here is what some of what they told me. And imagine I'm reading these answers right as the pandemic is at its worst. I still believe in God and love him. God is providing health care workers. My faith in God has allowed me to understand other people's situations and allowed me to have hope during this hard time. My faith has improved the way I see the earth changing for the better when people are compassionate, asymptomatic people are staying at home to protect others. Those words and that faith give me hope. These young people are seeing a world filled with suffering and even evil, but still concentrating on the good of the wheat that is there. These are young people living, as Paul says, by the Spirit. They are living by the Spirit and seeing that this whole creation, with its movements of justice and violence, with its desires for a cure from disease and its restless longing for peace, is really just groaning in labor pains. The whole creation is groaning, heaving, working hard as God pushes through a new world where the wheat and the righteous ones shine with the light of Jesus forever. These are young people who sound as if they already know the world has too many people who want to be weeders, not enough who want to be wheat planters. They know that we have enough who say, boy, do I have something to teach you, and too few who say, I have something to learn. They know we have far too many who say, those people are the problem. They need to be uprooted. And we could use more who say, the weeds are also inside me. Make me clean, Lord. So what to do as the weeds and wheat intermingle? 20th century theologian and author Henry Nouwen once said, 
Those who choose, even on a small scale, to love in the midst of hatred and fear are the people who offer true hope to our world. There is a song on country radio right now that essentially says the same. It's a song by Thomas Rhett, but Reba McIntyre and Keith Urban and others sing along with them. They say, In a time full of war, be peace. In a time full of doubt, just believe. Yeah, there ain't that much difference between you and me. In a time full of war, be peace. In a time full of hate, be light. That may sound trite or oversimplified for some, but then again, parables often are too. And sometimes Jesus even needs to explain them to us. But when you're groaning in hope for a new world to be reborn, Simply shining your light and sowing seeds of humble goodness will always find good soil somewhere, guaranteed. And those who bring a harvest that will shine like sun in the kingdom of the Father. Thanks be to God.